0: so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints.
1: so much for that warm welcome. I, I'm really excited to be here uh, this morning to be uh, speaking into this third part in our series Unstoppable. Over the last two weeks we began to look at uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians and uh, God has opened our hearts, he's blessed us, he's helped us and he's strengthened us and I'm excited to be able to share this third message which I've entitled Unstoppable Love for reasons which will unfold as we go on. But why I'm most excited about this word, and honestly, I was kept up half the day last night with excitement about sharing this word. It doesn't often happen to me, but it happened to me last evening because my excitement is born of a vision. And the vision is this. The th- thousands of people who will gather in Kingsgate this morning would hear what I say as a call to action, as a call to take the unstoppable love of Christ, which we have received, the very many of us, into our own hearts and share it in our world, I believe our world will be a different place. I believe your neighborhood will be a different place. Your family will be a different place. Your workplace will be a different place. Our cities, our towns, our villages will be a different place because the unstoppable love of God, which possesses our hearts, overflows from us into the world around us. Now, are you going to even have half an idea of that vision this morning? Come on, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Whoever's hearing this, that's my desire. That's what I've been praying for, that along with me, we'll be captured with this vision of sharing the love of God. Now, those of you who read my little letter, uh, which was sent out to those who received Dave's letter, will know that I promised to release to you, to reveal to you, a 30-year secret. Anybody read that letter? Yeah brilliant a lot, good response here and here is the little secret okay one of my i say my our my wife heather and I's treasured possessions is a box of letters that we've held together for more than 30 years I know I don't look that old but I I'll I do actually <laughs> and here is one of them okay this letter is dated the 17th of June 1985 And it was posted to Miss Heather Hunter. And she lived in Whitchurch in Hartford, uh, Hans, at the time. Now, at the time... Heather and I had just suffered a, a separation. We were, we were boyfriend, girlfriend. We were, uh, we were engaged to be married. And we'd just finished Bible college. And the denomination for which we'd been trained and which we were going to serve in thought it was a great idea. And it probably was. You know, the holiday, not holiday romance, is it? But it wasn't a holiday. but uh, Like a Bible university kind of romance type thing. So what they do to kind of test that out is separate these two people as far away as we can feasibly do it. So Heather went to um, um, Whitchurch, which is near Basingstoke, south of London, and I went to Yorkshire. Uh, I, I can't drive at that stage. Uh, Heather had a car, but it, honestly, uh, it took nearly half a week's salary for the fuel to be able to do that. So we, we only saw each other about every seven or eight weeks for that whole year until we got married. So what we endeavored to do was to write to each other, and our little box is called David and Heather's Love Letters. And they're in there. I know, you're choked, aren't you? I can tell. Just in case you don't think this is manly enough, okay, I have got a motorbike, okay? So, <laughs> oh, I'm going to start crying now <laughs> to tell me this, okay? But in that little box, which we know where it is, and our kids will find it someday, uh, and that's why we've kept them, really, is we've got hundreds of these little letters, because we used to write to each other, not quite every day, because we, we couldn't do that, but uh, we had one long letter a week and I looked through them all uh, yesterday and a few kind of quick letters that came in a week so usually I received three or four and Heather would get three or four every single week for a year so you can see we've got hundreds of them and this one as I say was dated the 17th of June now when I took this out to read it you want me to read it out? you interested? (laughs) Well, I'm very sorry, you know, I'm not going to <laughs> tell you what's out here. I promised Taylor that I could talk about this, but I wouldn't read this out, okay? This was one to me. Uh, when we have our 50th wedding anniversary, I think we'll have a public reading of these, and, and I'll have a book to sell and publish and all that. But. but actually, no, genuinely, I read through some of those yesterday, and I woke my wife up this morning with the words, if I had written them this morning, they would have said exactly the same thing. Honestly, that, that's genuinely true. Now, you, some of you are thinking, what's this got to do with uh, Thessalonians, aren't you? No, you just, you're just follow me, thank you. What this has got to do with Thessalonians was, actually, when I started reading that passage that we had read to us a moment or two ago, my first thought was those love letters. Because the, the passion that's in those letters an the expression of love, the expression of... And it was tough, it really was tough to be separated so far away and not be able to see each other capture something of the feeling that Paul the Apostle is writing in this letter, in this section uh, to the Thessalonians. He has been forcibly separated from them. There was a riot in the city, as you heard. He had to flee. The Christians who were left behind, uh, they were like five-week-old Christians, they uh, they were tied up and uh, they had to make promises and the local government made them sign a bond that if Paul and his friends came back, they would be both imprisoned and they would have to pay a load of money. So Paul is separated from the people, this this young church that he has planted, these people that he had brought to faith, and his heart is breaking for them. And so in this letter, we get that kind of expression. And what's that got to do with us? It's got everything to do with us because the Bible, as you may well know, is not just history, it's not just a story, although it's both of those things, but it's a call to action for us as Christians in our generation to rise up and express the same kind of love for the people that God has put in our world than Paul had for the people that uh, God had put in his world. You see, when God gives you a people to reach with the message of Jesus, he also gives you, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we've been singing about this morning, an unstoppable love for them. That's the vision And raises this passage raises two questions that I want to answer in this message. The first question is uh, almost rhetorical, is who has God given you to reach? Paul had the people to reach. Who has has God given you to reach and, and me too? And secondly, what does unstoppable love look like to them? So that's the two kind of questions I'm going to attempt to answer and then call us to prayer in a moment or two. Now, the answer to for the answer to the first question, we don't actually have to look too far away. Paul was a missionary. He, he traveled far and wide. In fact, some have estimated that his travels were something in the region of 10,000 miles in his lifetime, which is incredible in, in, in that time. But most of us won't have to travel so far to find a mission field. That is to find people who don't know Jesus yet. For some of us, it will be our family. For others, it will be all sorts of combinations. In fact, when I started to think about it in my own life and how I pray for the people around me who don't know Jesus, I had a little image in mind. And let's just see if you can pop this up on the screen. Uh, And see that? Ah, there it is. I can't see it at the front, but here... So perhaps if you're taking notes, you might want you just to draw these concentric circles because I'm going to come back to them a little later. So in the center, you've got yourself, me. Then you've got your family and friends. Then your colleagues and neighbors. Then your village, your town or your city. And then as you go out further, the, the wider world. Now, as God had given Paul the Thessalonians, so he gives us a people. If you're a Christian, God has put aside people. People. Men and women and young people in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, and all those places that are all covered by those concentric circles, that you have been charged to bring the message of Jesus. This is not an option as far as Christianity is concerned. We have the uh, unconditional love of God poured into our hearts so that it would pour out of our hearts and overflow into the lives of others. Uh, Paul writing in Romans said this, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We are filled with his love and it's going to pour out from us. That's what we were singing just a moment or two ago, weren't we? Here are the words we were singing. Now the world awaits your presence and this power is within us. We will uh, be your witness. Spirit come, spirit come. And the chorus we were just singing, Wonderful words. Pour it out. Let your love run over. Here and now, let your glory fill this house and beyond. That's a great prayer, isn't it? A great desire for each of us to have. And when that overflowing love of God does that in our lives, we can't help but touch people around us with the gospel message. It's not necessarily that we go preaching to them necessarily, but actually we can touch people's life with the gospel very simply just by saying something like, well, I want to be generous to you because I know how generous God has been to me. And because he's been generous to me, I want to be generous to you. Or something of that nature. I want to show you love because God loved me so much. And that love that he's poured into my heart, I want to share it with you. If God has done What God has done for us, we want to share with those around us. You see, God needs to do something in our day. When you switch on the news, as we did this morning to that terrible news. As we look back even two weeks, two or three weeks, and see the terrible things that have been happening in our nation, many of us are calling, and Facebook and all that and social media is full of it. What should happen? What should happen? Well, what should happen is we need to pray Christian people. We need to pray for the unstoppable love of God to be released in our nation. We need to pray that men and women and young people, some who are planned on miss you planning, you know, terrible things on others would experience, would meet someone who can draw them to the unstoppable love of Jesus. Actually, politics is not going to be able to do that. Social media can't do that. The only thing that can do that, I would suggest to you, is the overflow of the love of God in our hearts. We desire that, don't we, for our nation, for our city, that the overflowing love of God would do something. Of course, we see that in the people who serve. It, It does overflow in those situations. Our nation needs a sense of revival. And this revival is an outpouring of God's love in a way that we have never seen it before. But it calls, it's a call to action. You and I have to be involved in that. It doesn't just happen somewhere out there with someone else. It first starts with us. One of the great revivalists, he said an amazing thing, which I really like. He said, if you want to see revival in the world, draw a circle, stand in it, and say, start here. You get that? Draw a circle, stand in it and say, start here. God, would you start in this circle? Would you fill me with your unmeasurable love and power? And I promise that as it comes into my life, I'm going to do all I can to let it overflow into the lives of others. And so as we write our names down, as you start thinking of names in your concentric circles on your little diagram there, either now or later when you have time to think about it, allow the unstoppable love of God to flow into your heart and beyond. You see, every unstoppable Christian, every unstoppable person without exception has been unstoppable because they allowed the love of Jesus to motivate them for Christ's sake. Dave and Karen speak about this, don't they? About their, their love for the city of Peterborough. They said that you know, the church was growing. It was growing very slowly until God spoke to them and said... Unless you love this city, nothing's going to happen. They they were humble enough, as you, you know from the story, to respond by saying, God, we hear you, we we, we repent of our lack of love and we, we ask you to give us a supernatural love for this city. And what happened when you pray that? What happens when they prayed it, what happens when we pray it, is that God can't help but respond. And why you can't help but respond is because it's right in the heart of God to pour out his unstoppable love on every man, woman and child in this city, in this region anywhere in this nation and beyond. But it starts with us. It starts with us saying, God, as I look at these concentric circles, as I look at this piece of paper, as I look at that diagram, God, would you give me a heart for people who need to know you? So what does unstoppable love look like in our lives and into these circles of friends and so on, as we're talking about? Well, I think I've got four kind of little subheadings, so you might like to write down one two, three, and four. I'll very quickly touch each of those, and you'll have opportunity to think it through, talk it through in life group later in the week. What does unstoppable love look like? Firstly, unstoppable love is a heart condition. Now, when we say we've got a heart condition, usually we're thinking, ah, that's, nobody wants a heart condition, but everybody wants this heart condition. Because loving God and loving people is a heart condition. Yes, it involves some decisions in our lives, but first and foremost, it's a work of the heart. We get that from the passage that uh, we had read to us earlier. Paul had formed a loving and gracious relationship with the new church, uh, the Thessalonians, a very special one. In fact, we go back a a few verses. He describes his relationship with them like this. He said, it was like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much. We shared our own lives with you. And then a few verses later, we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children. Wow, that's an all-consuming love, isn't it? That's an unstoppable love. Here is the, the heartache That was in Paul If you read the rest of that passage You have opportunity as we heard it there One of the words that's used there Is that of an orphaned parent You know we often think about a child being orphaned But when Paul is writing here He describes the agony that's in his heart He says we've been torn away from you The word that's used there Is very cleverly swapped round And it's this idea of a parent being orphaned From his or her children Now those of us who are parents and grandparents We know what an agony that would be And that's the agony that Paul is pouring out here. This is the heart work, the heart condition that is there for him. He can't help but love these people. He was so connected with them. We see in verse 8 of chapter 3 that he describes their lives as being bound together. What happens to them happens to him. What blesses them blesses him. What hurts them hurts him. That's the heart condition to have. God had done a work in his heart. It started on the Damascus Road. You remember, it was, it was, uh, he was against God. He was actively against Christians. And God came to him in a vision. And he, gave, he literally flung himself on the floor and gave his life to Jesus. The overflowing love of God worked in his heart there. And started a work to condition his heart towards what, what he called lost people. Our hearts, friends, need to be conditioned in the same way. Can we ask God to do that for us? God Romans 5, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's a message that when we became a Christian became really fresh and new to us, but it has to pour out of our lives. It starts in our hearts as we look at the people in our circles, Lord, Lord, give me a heart for these people. If you find yourself actually not having much of compassion for the people that you're writing down. It's a heart job. Would you get before God and pray and say, God, just would you work in my heart towards these people? Give me compassion for those people who are near to me, who who are further away. And God will enlarge your heart. I absolutely guarantee it. So, firstly, unstoppable love looks like a heart condition. Secondly, unstoppable love perseveres. This is when it goes from the feeling and the desire of the heart into action. You see, when things were not going as Paul expected, he didn't just give up. He could have been forgiven for giving up. He was miles away. There was nothing he could do. But he persevered through thinking, I need to do all that I can to help those dear people. We want you to come to you, he says. Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Let me read that again. We want you to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Hindered us. Now, that's a great little word there, Satan hindered us. The word that's used there for the word hindered us uh, is a, a Greek word. Obviously, it was written in Greek in the first sentence, but it's a military word. It's a word uh, which describes the, the actions of a retreating, defeated enemy. So he's not giving Satan much room here. He's saying that Satan is, to him, a defeated and retreating enemy. And what defeated and retreating enemies used to do, and this is what the word hinder does means, is that as they retreated, they used to break up the road behind them, literally smash the road up so that those who were The the, the army coming towards them couldn't make as fast progress. The same tactic was used in the Second World War. When the the enemy was retreating, they blew up bridges and so on so that as the, the allies were advancing, they couldn't go quite so fast. So this is what Paul is saying is going on here, that Satan is tearing up the road in front of them, making it harder for them to come and to give this message and to bring the comfort that they needed. But did he give up? No, he didn't give up. That, that was a, not a rhetorical question. Did he give up? Absolutely not. He persevered through. He didn't give up on those people that were on, if you like, his concentric circles list, those lists that he'd written down, those people that he God had put in his heart and God had given him to love and to win for him. He didn't give up at all. He persevered through. He ended up sending Timothy back, although that left him exposed and uh, in danger himself. He sent Timothy back to help them and encourage them. Many times he had to make personal sacrifices, persevere through, so that God's word could come through. In another letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, um, chapter 11, he writes his testimony about this perseverance, and I actually I love this. Let me read it to you. It said um, five times, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once. I was stoned, uh, in the wrong kind of way. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. And it gets worse and worse. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then beside all of that, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Did Paul the apostle give up? Absolutely not. He persevered right through to the point where he could bless them. Now, we don't face the same restraints as, as Paul. Obviously, we're not being beaten up in this country at the moment for our faith. Far from it. But we can have the same sense of despair. Have you ever looked at these you know, people that you would love to come to know Jesus and, and you have a sense of despair? Will they ever you know, come to him? Do you have a sense of worry about people or, or even your neighborhood or the, or the nation itself? Yeah, of course, we have those kind of varieties. Uh, but what we're learning from Paul's experience is that unstoppable love perseveres. It presses on, it's action-based, and we keep going forward. Faith says we won't stop loving people no matter what. And that's what we can say in the face of all these terrorist things and all the rest of it as well. We won't stop loving people. We just won't. We will persevere through. When we've been praying for someone for years to come to faith, and, and I, I have people that I've been praying for there, I won't stop praying for them. I'll keep pressing on, which actually leads me nicely to my third point of the unstoppable love. The third point is that unstoppable love Praise. Now, in verses 11 and 13 of the passage that we had read earlier, there's a pivotal moment in the whole of the letter. Before it and after it are different, and they hinge around this prayer, which we find in verses 11 through 13. I'm going to ask for it to come up on the screen, and then uh, I want you to read it with me. Would you like to read it with me? Because this is a prayer that we can pray over people that we, we love. Uh, whether they're Christians or not we just want to pray this over people so would you read it it's kind of long but let's just uh, persevere uh, and read this prayer and understand it for ourselves and for others so now may our God together now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Wow, amazing. He prays three things that they might meet up soon. That prayer was answered. It took five years before he was back. And met them again, but God answered that prayer. He prays that the Lord would make them increase and abound in this unstoppable love. What a great prayer for each other and for our friends, isn't it? That he may thoroughly establish their hearts blameless in holiness, that God would keep them pure. What a great prayer to make for each other, isn't it? And for those beyond. Prayer is amazing. Prayer is a, a real weapon in uh, extending this unstoppable love of God to others. I don't know how you pray, but, you know, I've got a little book. I'm going to give you a little secret, just let me fetch it out. This is is a little secret book. Uh, I have this book for many years, and on this book, uh, in this book, I I, I don't know how you pray for other people, but this is how I I do it. I pray for my family and friends every day, obviously, Um, but on specific days, 1 through 28, because I use it in February as well, um, I, I pray for specific people. And I pray these kind of prayers. I'm going to pray that they would have unstoppable love. And so, like today is the fourth. So, today um, I prayed earlier this morning. I prayed for, um, it's no secret who's on here, um, a friend of mine called Brian Heasley, who's 24 7 prayer. Coordinator for, for the UK. I've been praying for him and for his family and his, the town in which he lives. Uh, and I've been praying this morning already for the first four students who were on our Leadership Academy in 2012. So I've been praying every fourth of the month for five years for these dear four people uh, Sam Turley, who's in America now, Josh Gardner, who happens to be in Leicester as an associate pastor, uh, Becky Westall, she'll be here somewhere, and Susie Cowling. I've been praying for those four people every uh, fourth of the month for the last five years. So that sense of your prayer can actually make a difference. Can you you capture that even from what I'm saying to you? Unstoppable love is a heart condition. We ask God to do something in our heart. It kind of perseveres through and keeps praying. We have to set set our heart to do that. And it prays for other people. It sees the opportunities around us as, as exactly that. Dutch Sheets writes a great little story in his book, Intercessory Prayer. He said, as far as praying for other people to become Christians, this is, we need to be like Sam and Jed, he says. Let me tell you the story. Hearing that a $5,000 bounty had been offered for the capture of killing of wolves, they became bounty hunters to these two boys. Waking up one night, Sam saw that they were surrounded by 50 pairs of gleaming eyes, ravenous wolves licking their hungry chops. Jed, wake up, wake up, he whispered to his sleeping partner. We are rich. <laughs> Get it? We are rich. The opportunities around us, that's what it draws out of us. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to keep praying, to extend this unconditional love to other people. That's third prayer. Finally, number four, unstoppable love has eternity in mind. Eternity in mind. The whole of the letter to the Thessalonians is peppered with references to final judgment Wrath, salvation, eternal hope. From the opening paragraph right through to the end, we see this. In fact, in the opening paragraph, chapter 1, verse 10, we see this. Paul writes, they speak of how, that's the believers, they are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. This is what motivated Paul to have this unconditional, unstoppable love. He had eternity in mind. The context throughout the letter is very clear. It looks to a day when Jesus would come back. It it sees the gap between what's going on now. Obviously, Paul was distraught at what was going on with the Thessalonians at that point, but he realized that he was in a gap between what was happening now and the day when the Lord Jesus would come back. And that motivated him. You see, when you look at the the problems all around you, that is hardly motivating, is it? But when you look at eternity and you say, a day will come when God will return in Christ Jesus and the world will be righted, the world will be put the way He planned it to be. The world is not how it should be right now, but it will be someday. And that motivates us, motivates each of us to think, who do we want to take into eternity with us? You see, when we get to that eternity moment when Jesus comes or calls, We won't be able to take any of our possessions, surprise, surprise. We won't be able to take any of our money, surprise, surprise. The only thing that we will take with us, the only thing that will show up in eternity as a treasure will be the people whose lives have been touched because we were prepared to share the gospel message with them. That is all we'll get there. Now, that can be a bit frightening (laughs) as a bit motivating, but think of it as a vision. Think of the vision. We're rich. <laughs> think of it as a, an opportunity. We're rich. Think of it as an opportunity that thousands of people could be coming to, into eternity because we allowed the unstoppable love of God to pour into our hearts and to pour out into the lives of others. Paul describes these end moments as the moments when the whole of eternity will fade away except for people who know him. It's sobering, challenging, and heart-filling at the same time. Paul describes the people who will make it through, that, we have be, that have been in our world, that we have ministered to, that we have given this gospel message to. He describes them as our glory. After all, he says, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you, Yes, you are our pride and joy. Now, when he was thinking and using the word crown, I have to be gentle here, this is what he had in mind. Because in northern Greece, when you were honored by the city authorities, you received a crown. It wasn't a gold crown or something like that, but it was a crown, and I appreciate my friends who have made this for us. Um, This is made of oak leaves, Now oak leaves were in short supply there and so they're very treasured. And so if you were being honored in a a civic ceremony in northern Greece at the time where the Thessalonians were, you would come forward and uh, the mayor or whoever would put this crown on your head. I'm not going to put it on my head because it's a bit (laughs) fragile, but you put it on your head. That's the image that Paul is calling up. What will be our crown when Jesus comes back? It won't be oak leaves, beautiful as they are, But using the same words as describes what an honor to receive this crown of oak leaves. What an honor for us to receive a crown of joy because the people that we spoke to, the people that we brought into the gospel message are standing here in eternity in front of us. Wow. I don't know. That highly motivates me. It makes me think when we go out on the streets next Saturday and the Saturday beyond, actually there'll be men and women and young people there who are going to hear the gospel message acted out. They'll see the gospel message acted out because we love God. We want to show that love to other people. And there will be people, and I really believe this, there will be people in eternity because of what we do next Saturday. We may well just be going out and tidying up, painting, weeding, and all that kind of stuff. But we're showing, we're allowing the unstoppable love of God to overflow from our hearts into our neighborhoods. And I'm believing for eternal rewards from that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to one day, not in the next 50 years, Jesus, I, I kind of looking forward to one day when I come and I can see the people who, who know Jesus because I took the opportunity to do that. Now, every now and again, we get a glimpse of that in our, our, our existing life. Heather and I attended a party uh, last, last Sunday afternoon after church. We traveled down to a friend's house in Bedford. Uh, we were uh, ministering in Bedford for four years in the late 90s. And um, I was director of youth work at the church there, uh, uh, Christ Church in Bedford. It was a great church. We had a great four years there, starting up a youth ministry in the schools and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that was really great, uh, we went to the party. And we met a lot of people who were on our team at the time. And they're kind of roughly the same kind of age as us. But I'll tell you what warmed my heart so much. Two of them come up, and our parents, and they said, oh, it's great to see you, Surprise, because it was a bit of a surprise that we were there. They said, I'm just going to tell you, I need to take your photograph. Says this one woman, I'm thinking, oh, right, it's a bit embarrassing. She says, no, 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 I definitely need to take a photograph of you, and and Richard over there, Richard, come over. Called Richard over and said, I must take a picture of you too. And she did, on her iPhone. She says, what? I said, what are you doing that for? She said, well, my son, uh, whose name, I'll keep Namos here, it said, talks about you two. In the youth group, way back in 1993 or whatever it is, leading him to Jesus, speaking about the love of God in his heart. And at that moment, in a kind of youth service that we put on then and run, he, he, he knelt down and he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's still an adult, and his whole family are going on with Jesus. And his parents are really proud, but he talks about that moment. How do you think I felt? I felt so tall, so proud, so humbled. But I'm I'm not clever. You can do it. We can all do it. If we're prepared to let God do a heart job on us so that we can have this unstoppable love poured into our lives. In fact, you've got a list of names right in front of you. If you drew that little diagram with the concentric circles, you're drawing it around there. You've got a list of names, and you can start to pray like I do in my little book every day God, would you bring that person into your kingdom? Would you please do whatever you need to do to help that man or that woman or that young person know you for the first time? I I speak that over anybody who is in this gathering, either now or in Kathy Church. Who who, you, You don't know Jesus. You've been listening to all this and you think, well, that's all for them. And in a sense it is because Paul was writing to Christians. But the message is loud and clear to you. That if you open your heart to Jesus, you can receive the unstoppable love of God for yourself and you have an eternity that's worth looking forward to. That's what changes when we allow God to come into our very hearts. And so, could you imagine with me, finally, your circles of friends and neighbors, that's your mission field that you've just described. Can you imagine them, every one of them, receiving the love of God and heading into eternity with joy? I can, I can see that over the people on my list. Let's ask God to give us an unstoppable love, a love that's in our hearts, a love that perseveres, a love that prays, and a love that keeps eternity right up front and center. And so I'd like us to pray together. Wherever we are, let's just uh, take a moment of quietness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join us here. Let's just allow, just literally a few seconds. If you're a Christian here, ask God what he wants to say to you. Out of all that I've been saying in the last 30 minutes, what's the one thing that God wants to land with you? There's one thing that's stuck. Ask him to come to bless you. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your word, that it's alive. It's a two-edged sword. It speaks into our world today. We pray that as you've spoken to us in a myriad of different ways, that we'll be people who act on your word, not just hear us, but we'll be doers of what you've said to us. you encourage us and challenge us and bless us, we pray, in your precious name. Amen.